0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Untangle, the meditation podcast from Gaia. I'm your host, Patricia Karpus. In this series, we introduce you to real people with extraordinary stories and experts who have devoted their lives to teaching and helping others through meditation. In today's episode, I sat down with Justin Kalashetsky, one of the founders of Outlaw Yoga. Justin's a self-labeled former meathead and amateur cage fighter who attended his first Vipassana a 10-day silent retreat, last summer. He's here to tell the story of how that retreat changed the course of his life. Justin, it's great to have you here today. I'm really excited to hear your story. Oh, thank you so much, Patricia.
1: It's an honor to be here.
0: So before we get into your retreat, tell me what. So here I'm looking at Justin, (laughs) and his body is covered with these amazing, beautiful tattoos, and it's just making me wonder what you were like as a (laughs) ten-year-old. Who is this guy? I want to know what was the ten-year-old Justin like.
1: Ten-year-old Justin. Oh my goodness. Well, ten-year-old Justin uh, had blonde hair, not brown and gray. (laughs) Um, But you know what's interesting is that ever since I can remember. One of the true gifts that I've had inside me is that I've listened to the wisdom that's inside me. I've always said, no, you know, I'll I'll try on what you have to say about life, but I I think I'll do it my own creative way.
0: Would you call yourself a rule breaker or a seeker, or how would you define that? uh...
1: Well, the definitions and identities are kind of hard to squeeze into, but, you know, to me, what an outlaw does ultimately is what's right, not what's popular. You know, so instead of looking at what's morally acceptable, what's politically, legally acceptable, is I try to get to the heart of what, what's the right thing to do right now, and you know, if you want to put a label on that, I, I think the closest one you get to is, is outlaw.
0: Mm. And so you're a yoga teacher, and you're an author, and you're a human being on this planet. And what would you say was your pivotal moment? In the history of Justin, where you decided to go on this path as an outlaw, as a as a yogi, as a
1: well, you know, I've always been a student of the mind and religion and philosophy. Traveled around the world several times, lived in Asia, Central Asia, and the South Pacific, and you know, always had this just this yearning um, to connect to source, really, but. What really knocked me out of my identity and my my sort of the ego factory that I'd been building was a specific relationship I had about five years ago. I had a really nasty breakup with a, a woman I really, really loved, and mostly my own doing, my own knuckleheadery, you know, my own lack of integrity, really. And I had a literal look-yourself-in-the-mirror moment. And I looked at myself and I said, you're a liar. And there's quite a bit of vehemence in that first accusation, really. And then the second one, I said, you're a liar. And there's just a little bit more acceptance. And then I looked at myself again. I said, you're a liar. That's what you've been for the last 30 years. That's not what you have to be right now. How can you take one step forward? How can you tell the truth today and start to practice that in a disciplined way until it becomes a new habit, a new pattern. So a definite pivotal moment. There's been a lot of them. But you know, that was one that really jumps out where I was able to reconnect to integrity um, in in a big, big way.
0: And it must have been a heartbreaking process, too. I mean, you talk about it as the the gift of the lesson, but breaking up with someone and shifting your perspective on the world as a result is challenging. Yeah. I mean, painful. It,
1: Patricia, have you ever learned something the easy way?
0: Right. I know. I know. We keep hearing that. You have to go right to the edge and walk right There's no other
1: way. The, Otherwise, yeah. we'd sit down with our grandparents. They'd say, do this, don't do this. I've learned this. I've learned that. And then we'd walk the easy yeah. path, you know, but it, it's our own particular fumbles and foibles that that propels us along. Hmm.
0: So you could have gone in any direction after that breakup. You could have become an addict or you could have Started yoga I, and— you know, I would what... even say
1: was an addict. Okay. You know, I'd, I've gone a lot of different directions mm-hmm. in my life. I was a cage fighter for some time, always been an artist and a writer.
0: What's a cage fighter?
1: Uh, it's where you Sorry. put two dudes in a cage and ring a bell and then they wail on each other. Uh, for some time, <laughs> until one of them quits or gives up or goes limp. Uh, the UFC is um, the is the ultimate not, expression of cage fighting.
0: Probably not the favorite um, sport of yogis, but
1: well, you know what's interesting isn't. is that I was in cage fighting when yoga really found me. Oh, I'd been writing stand up comedy at the time, and really, um, you know, starting to get back in touch with myself as an artist, as a human, as I described. Um, and I stepped into the yoga studio for the first time, and I locked the door. Cranked the heat, taught class, told jokes, played music, and it was lovely. And you had this wonderful captive audience of people who were open and receptive to a message. And what I found in that moment was that everything I had ever done, every place I'd ever been, every interest I'd ever cultivated, passion i have ever followed, it came together in that moment for me
0: amazing. Would your 10-year-old self have ever predicted that all of these life experiences would have led to the yoga studio?
1: Goodness. No, I, I don't think so. I don't think I could have written a stranger existence than the one I have right now. <laughs> yeah. Maybe no, that's
0: why you have so many tattoos. Does every tattoo represent a different phase of your life?
1: Yeah, you know, they they really do. Um, the first tattoo I ever got was a basketball exploding out of my heart, out of my chest. I was 17. Um, it's now covered up with a Mayan headdress. It, eventually, my pet grew and stretched, so the basketball <laughs> became a watermelon. Um, but, you know, eventually, uh, yeah, and originally, every one of them had a story, an inspiration, and they're kind of reminders. You know, mm-hmm. one of my favorite ones is this knuckle tattoo that says Santosha. It reminds me to be content but not complacent mm-hmm. in life, and especially to put it on my fingers is, is to remind me to use my actions very deliberately, the ohm mm-hmm. tattoo on my neck, Know, reminds me to use my words with a lot of integrity.
0: So you're a student and a teacher, as mm. we all are a little bit. Mm. Uh, the part of you that's a student. You just recently went on a meditation retreat. Have you meditated for many years and wanted to try a silent retreat, or was that your first experience with oh, God, meditation? No. Or?
1: I had avoided meditation mostly. You know, I'd, I'd experienced different pleasant experiences of, of meditation and different trainings or classes, and you know, had kind of flirted with my own meditative practice for years and years. Um, I went on a Vipassana retreat, ten-day silent meditation retreat. The first one I signed up for was in California. And then I backed out of it because I knew deep down that my patterns were going to be on the line. You know, I knew that this was big, big change coming. Um, and so finally, I got to a point where I was really feeling quite empty. It was this spring. I was coming out of a long uh, touring schedule, and I just I felt empty. And I got to my friend Wendy's house in Des Moines, Iowa, and I was exhausted. And I looked at her, and I said, Wendy, maybe it's time for Vipassana. She'd done 15 of these before. And she goes, you know, I'm doing a retreat in July. Maybe, just maybe, there's a space left because they fill up quite fast.
0: And you had not done the 10-day before because no. you had backed out of it backed or out it was of it, yeah. the right time. Was and now right you're time. like, oh, my gosh, my, like, my well, behavior's like, out of control. I yeah, need a little.
1: My being's calling for it right. at this time. Yeah. And I hopped online. And sure enough, the course she was going to had an opening on the men's side. And so I applied for it was accepted. It's funny the the application that they send you because they ask you, you know, quite clearly like have you done drugs and alcohol in the last, you know, few months or whatever and I'm like, "Well, yes, of course." <laughs> of course, of course I have. It says, "Well, you know, how many?" And it's, I just put various, a uh, daily, <laughs> you know, and then I put a little note that says, "Listen, I understand that intoxicants are not allowed." You you take several very simple precepts. One of them is no intoxicants. Mm-hmm. One of them is no harming another living being, um, no sexual activity whatsoever, noble silence for 10 days. Um, and so they really just try to let you know what you're getting into is to the extent that they're even able to. Mm-hmm. But you know, even the application process is a little threatening to the, to the patterns in all of us.
0: Because it stops everything. It basically wants you to come naked. To
1: In so many wonderful ways, they cook for you, clean up after you. The bell rings at 4 a.m. and then it rings throughout the day. So there's no need to think about scheduling. If you're doing something, the bell rings, go do something else. You're either meditating or eating or getting ready to go be meditating.
0: <laughs> so you, you're you accepted, yeah. first of all. So you must have said something, right? You. Understood the rules.
1: <laughs> yep, yep. I understand. Don't bring any marijuana. Got yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs>
0: right. No marijuana, no alcohol, no sex. And you're driving. You drive into this. Oh, let's what even is back it? up, oh, Patricia. Okay. Let's back up because okay. I
1: got ready to leave Denver. <laughs> okay. And I told my little brother I'm hitting the road. He goes, cool, where are you going? He's 10 years younger than me, um, rock and roller. Most of our family is performers and musicians, artists. And um, I go, well, I'm, I'm heading out on 10-day silent meditation retreat um, with Wendy, who he'd met before. He goes, why are you doing that? And I stopped and asked myself, like, why am I doing this? Mm. And there's on every mile from here to Des Moines, which is like a 10-hour drive, I just thought, you know, I ought to turn around or I ought to stop and go camping. I got to Wendy's house in Des Moines. And even the next day before we left, I was like, tell you what, I'll follow you. In my truck.
0: So I, in case I want to leave, I've got my own car too. Yeah. She
1: goes, get in the car, put <laughs> your stuff in the car. You're coming with me. I was like, okay. And so I rode with Wendy. Um, we get there, and I was nervous. I, I don't really get nervous, but I was like, this feels like I'm checking into rehab.
0: What this did it look like? I'm like? Why did it feel like print? that? Oh, it was be- was no, it just beautiful. a, is it stark beautiful or? Beautiful farm.
1: No, no, no. Beautiful ponds and but grounds there's, there's no and meditation hall. <laughs> there's just, there's not going to be any way to scratch those familiar itches, you know? And so I walked in like, I was, I was shaking. You know, I knew that there was some big things on the line here. And then I went to sign in. I went to shake the hand of the guy who was greeting me, and he bowed instead because there's no touching anyone on the grounds. No hugging, no high-fiving. You know, everything is built so you can be in, inside of yourself. And I walked up, and, and the first woman goes, welcome. Did you bring any pants with you? And I made the face you just made, Patricia. <laughs> Never mind that it's 95 degrees out. She goes, did you bring any pants? I go, well, I brought a couple pairs of short pants. You know, I call them man-pries. You know, I brought a couple pairs of man She goes, well, um, do they cover your knees for meditation? And I go, well, aren't, aren't your eyes closed in <laughs> meditation? It did not get a laugh. <laughs> <laughs> my, medit- my my vacation from sarcasm started right then. Um, and so I was like, yeah, you know, I brought a couple pairs of pants and, um, and it'll last 10 days. And- but I knew like this is going to be very, very different from any other experience I'd ever had right then. And so they hand you a-, a card that tells you how to check in and then to report back. And in loading and unloading, you can walk across all the grounds. For the 10 days, though, the men and women are separated by a barrier, um, and then separated in the meditation hall. You can see each other, but on different sides of the hall, and then a curtain separates you in the kitchen, the dining hall. Um, you know, so we, she walked me into my quarters, my friend, and helped me get settled in, and then I came back, and, um, and they give you dinner the first night, miso soup, which is not something I was ordinarily used to calling dinner.
0: Was it silent from the moment you got there? After no, the little bit of talking leads pants. in, and oh, then a, okay. and then
1: a gong goes off, and I think around like six p.m. or something, the noble silence begins.
0: Silence at dinner. So you're having the miso soup after the sil- dinner. Oh, after dinner. after okay. dinner. Yeah. Got it. So then, what happened?
1: Oh my God! You know that the Cherokee story of the two wolves. Yes. There's a good wolf and a bad wolf inside of each of us, and the one we feed is the one that grows. I got at least four wolves inside of me. <laughs>
0: Who, was it the good wolf, the bad wolf? Who were the other three two? Three
1: bad wolves. Oh, no, no. Oh. There are at least three bad wolves. <laughs> and so for the next three days throughout the day, throughout meditation, I watched while two wolves pinned down the good one and another wolf fed on me. Mm. Because the clarity that comes in that silent space is undeniable.
0: But you were tortured. It, that's what you mean by the three bad wolves? Mm, like yeah. in the first couple of days, was yeah. there just too much going on in your head or what was want to know what were you feeling for
1: example the first wolf that that really showed up to feed on I me mean, was a wolf of sexuality we um as you'll see this in my book we all got a hole inside of us you know that we try to fill with various sources external from us we think that if we add enough love enough approval enough drugs or what have you it's going to f- you know fill us up and it does for a tiny bit but then when it wears off that hole is a little bit bigger um, and so you go from 30-plus years of, of an external source providing your, your, uh, your internal worth, and now you're sitting still with nothing else to fill the void except whatever's inside of you and the patterns that are prevalent within you. So the first thing that made it self-aware is my mind was kind enough to replay every sexual experience I'd ever had for the first two days.
0: Was, was, was that pleasant or unpleasant?
1: Uh, Living through them was more pleasant than reliving them in my mind. Um, You know, imagine you're sweating out booze and marijuana. I went to the student administrator and was like, dude, can we turn the AC up? I cannot get cool in here. Everyone else got blankets on, right? And I'm sitting there like, we got to crank the AC, man. I'm dying. You know, so I'm sweating out impurities. And now even inside of me, I'm showing myself, I'm tempting myself. And at this point, I'm like, screw this. I'm going over the wall. I'm hopping this fence. And so I started to walk their perimeter, right? And I'll be like, well, I could leave my friend Wendy and know I'm not talking to these admin people because they'll try and keep me here. I'll call my sister who lives five <laughs> hours away in Michigan. My, my
0: escape route. I
1: planned my escape, Patricia. No BS. I planned my escape for mm-hmm. sure. The only thing that kept me there, the two things in those initial four days was I knew my sister worked Friday, Saturday, so she couldn't get me till Sunday. Mm-hmm. And then... This wonderful experience on day three, where I was sitting in the dining hall eating, and I was looking at everyone around me who just they looked like prisoners, you know prisoners of their own minds, and they looked miserable and just like mine you know and and in the, that moment, I heard this beautiful voice inside my head of uh, this wonderful Brazilian musician friend my my brother and dear friend Marco de Fajera. He pops into my head he goes, "Just done yeah. don't worry." <laughs> About a thing, because every little thing, join me, Patricia. You're gonna be be all right. right. Yeah, you got it, honey. (laughs) Yep, yep. And it popped into my head, and this grin spread across my face. I went outside. You're not allowed to exercise. You say you won't exercise, you won't read, you won't write at this thing, but I went into the corner of the grounds, I did a handstand. Not too uh, ashamed to say it was the best handstand I've ever done to date in my life. And I was just sitting there light, buoyed up, and I thought, okay, I can do this. I can get to Sunday when sister will come get me. I'll have a full belly after breakfast. I'm going to hop the fence right there. I'm going to start walking east towards her. She'll pick me up. We'll go to Chicago. We'll tear it up (laughs) for a week. Yeah. And so that was my plan. Get to day four. I'm out of here. Okay, I don't need any more of this. Y'all are too serious for me. This is really miserable for me. Um, you know, because every meditation session, if it wasn't sexuality, it was achievement. How had I used achievement as a drug? If it wasn't um, achievement, it was fighting. The wolf of the fighter showed up, and not just, you know, physically like I had been recently, but. Um, how had I been fighting philosophically how had I been fighting you know with government with family with systems around me since way before 10 year old justin since really I came into this planet it was just always fighting
0: was this like a slideshow that was just like your mind was just every every scene was just you could call it yeah out. like a
1: movie you could see it in your head and yeah. kind of like watching the past yeah as a and movie was there in your a head.
0: breakthrough was there a moment where you just Major breakthrough, yeah! Major
1: breakthrough on day four. Um, you know, day four, I was I was trying to sleep. Um, morning gong goes off at 4 a.m. and lights out at 10 p.m. And I was laying in my bed trying to sleep at 10, when this eruption of awareness of vibration, um, this force that permeates all of us, really erupted in the center of my forehead, and it's so much that it felt like it was shaking. Me in the bed I was laying on, I was like, "Well, I, maybe I'm imagining this," and so I noticed. I put my teeth a little closer together, and I noticed my teeth
0: were—they
1: mm. were rattling together from this vibration, and it started to permeate my entire physical being. And what I experienced in that moment was the direct physical experience of the arising and passing that is us. You know, uh, the Buddha called klepas or Western science calls subatomic particles. They come into being and they pass away and so fast that they seem solid. So fast that even though we know we're mostly space, we know this intellectually, Mm -hmm. but to realize this physically, that we're mostly space permeated by vibration and powered by combustion, this direct physical experience of this erupted within me. And at that point life became really light, really easy. The next morning, I woke up just ecstatic to go meditate, to go explore this wonder of creation that's present in me and you and and all of humanity. The sweat stopped. Um, My eating, you know, really kind of went down. I I went into retreat like 210 pounds. I'm like 185 right now. Um, A lot of my old, unconscious, you know, destructive patterns of behavior really melted away of their own accord. You know, so I came out of meditation with no desire for drugs and alcohol. I've been sober since meditation going on three months now. Oh,
0: wow. Are you meditating every day? Oh, yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, My meditation practice now is like the most wonderful gift in my life. It's funny because if I would have run away day two when I wanted to, you couldn't have paid me to meditate ever again it was that unpleasant you know but now i'll i'll meditate at least 2 hours a day an hour in the morning and hour in the evening and any chance i can get throughout the rest of my day it's really the most pleasant part of my my days is, is to think, go inside
0: do you think it's sustainable to have a meditation practice twice a day for an hour each? Is that sustainable for you? For and, me, yeah. yeah. I
1: try to remind a lot of my colleagues and myself when I need it that if we don't serve ourselves first, if we don't fill our own well, it's impossible to sustainably fill the cups of others, of students, and, and the people we care about around us. So my number one job is is sustaining me, serving me and filling up my cup, and then it will overflow.
0: So other than the you know, moment of what do you think – Happened between the time where you wanted to run away, and what? How else would you describe that breakthrough that you had? It, that it's moment? a great
1: question. I would call it a remembering. I think life is a is a profound process of forgetting and remembering.
0: Well, like coming back to your core, or some when you say remembering, what do you mean?
1: Core is a is an interesting word, but it's more really. Mm-hmm. It's remembering that. Um, we're not these identities that we spent so much time building.
0: It's really sloughing off all that. It's like you were saying. It's like you're you're shedding all of this stuff and that doesn't really matter. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: We, you know, it's, it's everything we talk about in class.
0: Right. Right. <laughs> Let go yes. of the things
1: that don't serve us. Yes. You know, it's everything we talk about, being present, being mindful. And what it was was a, a culminating moment of, of every bit of discipline I'd ever done, mm. you know, to not run, to sit in the challenge. And, you know, now when, when a challenge arises, it's it's really um, clear the, the – the action is to is to sit with it, sometimes no action, you know, to be accepting around it.
0: What kind of meditation do you do?
1: Um, I do Vipassana meditation. So the Vipassana tradition comes to us from Buddha 2,500 years ago. It was preserved in Burma and then brought back to northern India by a wonderful man named Goenka, um, and from there spread around the world. In my particular retreat, once you do get to talk on day 10, which that's a trip, wow. For, for Do you a man. even want to? You know, it's weird because by day 10, not only did I not care if I ever talked again, <laughs> I didn't care if I ever left that meditation center, I would have stayed. Um, I had a very clear sense that my work is in the world, you know, at least for now. And so I did come back. Um, but boy, the first few words you say, your throat's pretty scratchy and your voice sounds a little bit different, but you know what comes with it is a gratefulness for it. Mm-hmm. The ability to communicate, that you can sing and express yourself. Wow.
0: And putting it all into words absolutely. Impossible. Impossible.
1: Not possible. Yeah. You yeah. know, we, we have an agreement in, in life that says we're going to communicate yeah. and it's going to sound like this. But these words are signs. They're placeholders for um, aspects of reality that have such greater meaning than a word can ever encapsulate.
0: It's amazing. I, I love the story because it's so – there's such a clear before and after. <laughs> <laughs> we, you know, the purpose of this podcast series is to demystify meditation for many people who feel like it's just too inaccessible. Too woo too, yeah, too yeah. inaccessible. And, and here you go from, you know, there's Justin before and then there's Justin during – And then there's just an after. And I don't think everybody has to go do a 10-day silent retreat. I think you see benefits from just beginning to give yourself that time in the day to meditate and to be present for yourself and to accept things. Yeah, I think
1: any time you take a a single breath, a single second or minute to, Mm -hmm. to just become more present than you were before, then it's kind of like you make a deposit in the cosmic piggy bank.
0: Well, thank you so much for sharing your story. I love it. No, thank you for uh, listening. It's so rich and so real and authentic, and, you know, you're amazing.
1: Oh, thank you, Patricia.
0: Thank you you all for listening. If you'd like to know more about Justin's organization, Outlaw Yoga, check out his website at outlawyoga.com. I hope you found Justin's story as fascinating as I did, and we look forward to sharing more inspiring stories on our next episode. If you have feedback or suggestions for stories, email us at untangle at Gaim.com. And don't forget to check out the Meditation Studio app by Gaiam in the App Store. See you next time.